Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Tonight on The Readout. We have tens of thousands of pages of documents where we need to sit down and ask specific substantive questions without filibustering, without interruption, without going five minutes back and forth with with Jamie Raskins and Dan Goldman and and, uh, little Moskowitz jumping up and down. Hunter Biden agrees to testify before the House Oversight Committee on the utter lack of evidence that his father did anything wrong. But Chairman James Comer refuses to take yes for an answer. Also tonight, more hostages are freed by Hamas, including an American, as negotiators work to extend the pause in fighting with just hours to go before the extended ceasefire is set to end. Plus, rejecting the binary us versus them narrative in the Israel-Hamas war, I'll speak to a prominent rabbi and a labor leader who happened to be married about the importance of a peaceful, shared future for Israelis and Palestinians. But we begin tonight with two very stark warnings about the fight to protect our democracy and the direction of our country. More than 1,000 people have been charged for their participation in the attack on the Capitol on January 6th, 2021. And a good number of them have been sentenced by D.C. District Judge Beryl Howell. Judge Howell is far from a household name, but she's been at the center of not only those prosecutions, but also efforts to hold Donald Trump accountable on multiple fronts. She rejected Trump's executive privilege claim in special counsel Jack Smith's investigation of Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election, forcing Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, to testify before a federal grand jury. She's also criticized the Department of Justice for being too lenient in prosecuting the people who carried out the attack on the Capitol, saying the rioters were not mere protesters. Judge Howell addressed her frontline experience with the rank-and-file foot soldiers in Donald Trump's attempt to stage a coup on January 6th in rare public remarks about America's turn toward authoritarianism. According to Politico, at an event for a women's lawyer group, Judge Howell pointed out that she and her colleagues regularly see the impact of big lies at the sentencing of hundreds convicted for their roles on January 6th, adding that we are having a very surprising and downright troubling moment in this country when the very importance of facts is dismissed or ignored. That's very risky business for all of us in our democracy. The facts matter. And she acknowledged Boston College historian Heather Cox Richardson's warning in her new book that the U.S. is at a crossroads, teetering on the brink of authoritarianism. Quoting Richardson's warning that big lies are springboards for authoritarians. The warning comes from coming from Judge Howe, who was chief judge for D.C.'s federal trial court from 2016 until this past March and still serves on the federal bench, is timely and echoes new warnings from former Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney. In an upcoming new book, she excoriates her party and former colleagues in Congress over their fealty to the man responsible for the January 6th attack. 
According to excerpts obtained by CNN, Cheney shames Republicans as enablers and collaborators who one member called Orange Jesus, who after the 2020 election were willing to violate their oath to the Constitution out of political expediency and loyalty to Donald Trump. Cheney calls Trump the most dangerous man ever to inhabit the Oval Office, but doesn't hold back on her warning about his biggest sycophants, her former Republican colleagues in Congress, saying bluntly, I am very sad to say that America can no longer count on a body of elected Republicans to protect our republic. Cheney reinforces her point by shedding new light on how far top Republicans would go to do Trump's bidding, including now new House Speaker Mike Johnson writing about Johnson's effort to rally House Republicans to support Donald Trump's attempt to overthrow the 2020 election in the courts, Cheney says. When I confronted him with the flaws in his legal arguments, Johnson would often concede or say something to the effect of, we just need to do this one last thing for Trump. But it's Mike Johnson's predecessor as speaker who gets Cheney's most scathing takedown, namely Kevin McCarthy, who she calls out for his lies and craven appeasement of Trump particularly his visit to Mar-a-Lago, just three weeks after the attack on the Capitol to kiss the ring. She recounts her first run-in with McCarthy after his secret visit. Quote, Mar-a-Lago? What the hell, Kevin? Cheney asked. They're really worried, McCarthy said. Trump's not eating, so they asked me to come see him. Cheney responded, what? You went to Mar-a-Lago because Trump's not eating? Yeah, he's really depressed, McCarthy said. Join me now is Congressman Eric Swalwell of California and Tara Setmeyer, senior advisor to the Lincoln Project, who once served as a Republican communications director on Capitol Hill before leaving the party. And I wonder why that happened. Um, Representative Swalwell. He's not eating. I, I, you know, I, I, Was McCarthy a chef? Like he counted the Skittles, but like he's well, going to go down there and help him eat? I mean, the only the, the, the problem with him being concerned about his food uh, consumption is that Donald Trump pretty much only eats McDonald's and Diet Coke. So unless he's like an Uber Eats driver. I'm not sure how he would help him. But I would love for you to comment on the fact that the former Speaker of the House of Representatives felt that he had to go to the home of the the insurrectionist to feed him. These guys see their jobs tied uh, exclusively to Donald Trump. And, And so they use the House of Representatives to just wage Donald Trump's battles. And they can't see themselves as having another job or getting another job. Yeah. And so they think this is the only job that they can get. And and Mike Johnson, who, by the way, had called Donald Trump back in 2015 dangerous, is now also bending the knee to Trump. He's found apparently the only conversion therapy that actually works (laughs) because now he's all in for Trump. Bottom line, these guys are not going to save us. The the hero has to be the voter because they're not going to save us. It's an excellent point. I just want to come back to you just for a moment because there there is a, a lot of what she talks about is the pressure that um, this gentleman, Mike Johnson, who's now the speaker, was putting, including on freshmen. Um, let, me, let me read just a little bit. On January 6th, before the attack on the Capitol, Cheney describes a scene in the GOP cloakroom where members were encouraged to sign their names on electoral vote objection sheets. Cheney writes, most members knew it was a farce and another public display of fealty to Donald Trump. Among them was Republican Congressman Mark Green. Cheney writes, as he moved down the line, signing his name, to the pieces of paper. Green said sheepishly to no one in particular, the things we do for Orange Jesus. You were there at that time. Do you recall the sort of atmosphere that Mike Johnson in particular was putting, was creating in the House? He was the architect of this idea that you could overturn 
the election. And, and what I saw from my Republican friends was it started as, no, we're not going to get on right. to that letter. And then it reached a tipping point because all of a sudden Trump was browbeating everyone to get on the letter. And he was right. aiming his supporters at anyone who wasn't on the letter. And then you started to see all these names pop up of people who would otherwise not do it. And, and that's why uh, Johnson, Speaker Johnson, is so dangerous because Trump is incompetent. He's corrupt, but he's incompetent. But if an incompetent president who is corrupt has a competent architect like Mike Johnson, we're all going to pay the price. You know, Tara, I've always viewed, you know, there's a sense in which Donald Trump is just a vehicle, right? So for Paul Ryan, he was a vehicle to get his massive tax cut for the super rich and big business, which is what he always wanted. Trump is just the vehicle to get it done. What is he the vehicle for now for these Republicans, they've already got row overturned. Mike Johnson got that dream already. What is he the vehicle for now to the extent that, you know, Speaker McCarthy was like, what was he separating his Skittles to make sure there weren't green ones in them? Like, what is he getting for Republicans that they won't just cut him loose, in your view? Uh, it, power is very intoxicating. Right. Congressman Swalwell knows this. When when you get to Washington, a lot of these guys who were backbenchers before now have relevance in ways that they've never experienced before. They have access to power and cognitive dissonance is a hell of a drug. And we see this happen every single day with members of Congress and elected officials who sell their souls to maintain that power and relevance. Just look at, let's say, Lindsey Graham, as an example, or Ted Cruz. You know, these people who are unbelievable hypocrites, they continue to do knowing they know what they're doing and saying is harmful to the country. They know it's hypocritical of everything they ever said before. We have it on tape. We've seen them say these things. And then they turn around and they're the biggest ass kissers of Donald Trump to, to walk the earth. Why? Because Lindsey Graham himself admitted it. He said, well, you know, I've never been this close to power in my entire career. And that's a sad commentary. Because now this isn't just about tax cuts. This isn't about policy differences. This is about the fundamental foundation and cornerstone of our country, which is our democracy, which is at an, an unbelievable threat. We have never seen anything like this, not since the Civil War, at least anyway. And you have a group of people now who are not only sycophants, I call them Vichy Republicans, but you also have this group who actually likes the idea of the fascist authoritarianism that Donald Trump is spewing more blatantly every single day, where we're going to have an America that resembles something like the Hunger Games and Pan Am, where the cruelty is the point versus what we believe in as the American dream here in this country. And I don't, under, I don't know what it's going to take for some of these Republicans to finally stand up and have the courage of a Liz Cheney, of an Adam Kinzinger, of a Mitt Romney, to say enough is enough and call these cowards out for what they've done and the damage they've done to this country. History is not going to be kind to any of those people. Shame on them. Well, or, or The Handmaid's Tale. I mean, you know, it, because if I can kind of come to the idea, I mean, that Mike Johnson calls the Republicans the rule of law party, you know, and he's now attacking the prosecutions against Trump as meritless, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But and he's now, you know, he's paid. He's also kissed the ring and gone down there. The Handmaid's Tale is in motivation for him, right? Sure. He wants a theocracy. He's very clear about that. He sees Donald Trump as a vehicle to get it. You work with these people. Will if Donald Trump were to come back into power, is there a man among them or a woman among them on the other side of the aisle who would in any way attempt to stop him from doing the worst of what he wants to do? He now says he wants to shut down MSNBC. No one explained to him that this is cable. 
It right. isn't a broadcast. He thinks it's free broadcast TV. It's not. But you, for, to the extent that he, I mean, he, he to do whatever he wants. It'd be the end of democracy. Uh, and he's already told us what he's going to do. He's tried to overturn the government. He has a speaker who is all in with him. And so we should take that seriously. But there's this tapestry of accountability, the rule of law that Speaker Johnson you know, allegedly sure. believes in hmm. that is coming at Donald Trump on the civil and criminal liability uh, that he's facing. But uh, if he were to become president again, uh, we know that every value for democracy, every principle in the rule of law uh, would be gone. We, we would lose it uh, and it would be very hard to get it back. And Tara, that includes people like Mitch McConnell. You know, Mitch McConnell gets quoted in books talking about how and deriding Donald Trump. He knows better, right? They all know what they really feel about him. I've been told by people who are like, this one and that one despise the man, and they're the biggest oh, sycophants yeah. to him. And you get off the record, no, that that guy really hates him. But, but my question is, is there an institutional part of the party? Part of it held after January 6th. There were Republicans who weren't willing to sully themselves and throw the Constitution out of the window for him. They're mostly gone. <laughs> the Mitt Romney brain is left to the station. I've never seen Mitch McConnell really try to stop him. Is there anything left in Washington that would actually deter him if he came back into power? Uh, I, that's the scary part about this. I don't think so. I mean, the, if, if he comes back into power, he's never leaving. Like that's in his true, mind, true. the coup has never ended. And he's surrounding himself, to, to Congressman Swalwell's point, he's surrounding himself with more competent people with these nefarious ideas and that are better able to carry it out this time. And I don't know that a lot of people fully understand that. Don't believe us. Believe, believe him. Donald Trump yeah. is telling us every single day what he plans to do. You need yeah. to believe him. And I don't know why he's already tried to do it once before. What makes anyone think he wouldn't try to do it again? I mean, it's quite obvious. Is there anyone left in the party institutionally? No, the party is a shell of itself, unfortunately. And uh, the, you know, you just look at Jonathan Carl's book that just came out uh, where he says 90 percent of the people he interviewed were Republicans. And how many of them are off the record? These are close Republicans who worked with Donald Trump that said the most heinous things about him and sound the alarm. I mean, it should be required reading for everyone, along with Liz Cheney's book. They coincide yeah. with each other because they reinforce the idea that the people who know better, they are sounding the alarm. I think they need to come forward. Many of us have yeah. had the courage to come forward. You know, yeah, there's a price to pay to do the right thing. But damn it, yeah. now's the time to do the right thing. Our democracy yeah. is on the line. We can't wait for our Donald Trump to come into power again and hope and pray that someone finds the uh, intestinal fortitude to actually stand up and stop him again. Then it's too late. And these are far right Republicans. These aren't liberals. You did an ad about one of them, uh, Mike Johnson. Um, tell me about this ad. We're going to put some VO of it uh, all up. But what is the purpose of the ad? Who's it directed at? Uh, to define uh, Speaker Johnson and to show what he will do if Donald Trump is president and Donald Trump would sign all of this into law. I did it with David Gray, uh, who's done, he did the abortion ad that we did yeah. that showed that a woman would go to jail. The Republicans cried foul, said that would never happen. And they started writing laws in the states that banned abortion. So people need to know who this is and connect the Republicans who all voted for him to make him speaker. And just to be clear, there are Republicans who you get the sense are playing an act. This guy in acting, like he is a dominionist. He is a Christian nationalist. Am I wrong? Am I overstating that? Or is he for real, for real? That's what he believes. 
And that's what he would do. And we should take him at his word. Uh, Congressman Eric Swalwell, we say scaring is caring for a reason, y'all, on here. Uh, Congressman Eric Swalwell, Tara Setmeyer, thank you both very much. God bless us all. <laughs> I've left on the readout. House Republicans really, 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 really want Hunter Biden to testify. They just don't want anybody else to hear what he has to say. It would be undignified for me to make chicken noises right now, but trust me, trust me, I'm making them in my head. The readout continues after this. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. As we continue to see the chaos play out among House Republicans, which included the inability to name a speaker for three weeks, the need to tackle the important issues on behalf of the American people has been left behind. They are, however, back to the Republican Party's most important issue, besides making sure Trump is eating and isn't sad. Yep, you guessed it, Hunter Biden. Now, nearly a year since House Republicans began an oversight committee investigation into the finances of President Biden and his family, they subpoenaed Hunter Biden earlier this month. Probably to their surprise, Hunter has agreed to testify publicly in front of the full committee on December 13th, instead of in a closed-door deposition as requested. Now, you'd think that this would excite House Republicans who cannot seem to get through any interview without segueing to the president's son. But weirdly, the thought of getting the opportunity to perform their Hunter Biden shtick live on TV is too much for them to bear. Perhaps because all their past public hearings purporting to provide bombshell evidence against President Biden have all been duds. Oversight Committee Chair James Comer says it has to be a closed door deposition with the possibility of a public hearing at some future date or Hunter Biden will face contempt charges. And one of the reasons he says a public hearing is a no-go is because of the de de Democratic, Democratic members of Congress, of the committee. <laughs> this will be testifying in public, but not in a chaotic scene where the Democrats who have already demonstrated they can't uh, conduct themselves in a mature, credible manner during a hearing. So apparently it's the Democrats who can't act maturely during hearings. Representative Comer, wasn't this you just two weeks ago during a committee hearing? That is bull****. You look like a smurf here just going around and all this stuff. 
Ranking Democrat on the Oversight Committee, Congressman Jamie Raskin issued a statement in response saying in part, quote, let me get this straight. After wailing and moaning for 10 months about Hunter Biden and alluding to some vast unproven family conspiracy after sending Hunter Biden a subpoena to appear and testify, Chairman Comer and the Oversight Republicans now reject his offer to appear before the full committee and the eyes of the world and to answer any questions that they pose. What an epic humiliation for our colleagues. Joining me now is Democratic Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett of Texas, a member of the aforementioned and august House <laughs> Oversight Committee. Uh, can I just show you one thing? Let me show you a picture. This is um, okay. uh, Marjorie Green. Here's her at, at the IRS whistleblower hearing. Blow, hear, blow, oh, war, mm-hmm. Blower hearing from I July. Remember can we just this. show this? Oh, we don't. We have a picture of her doing it. She she showed photos of naked. I, I, I was like right next to her. I so I, I, I vividly recall that. Yeah, it's interesting um, that they have been spending so much time pouring into Hunter Biden, who's never been elected president, never been appointed to a post that would subject him to being impeached in the first place. And then, of course, they decided they wanted to show his private parts all over the hearing. But like to have him come in and have a conversation around whatever questions they want to pose. Mm hmm. What they're nervous about is is the D team, because we really the A team. Yeah. And, and that's the problem, right? Like, yeah. we literally have so many trained attorneys. Um, he was complaining about Jamie Raskin, attorney. He was complaining about Dan um, Goldman, attorney. He was claiming a, he was upset about Moskowitz, also a trained attorney. I'm a trained attorney. So when we come in, we come in ready for war, because this is a serious matter, even though we know that they don't take this seriously. He just called my colleague a smurf and he's saying that we're the ones yeah. that are acting out. Yeah. Not not Marjorie, not Boebert, not any of them, but it's us. Not uh, And Jim Jordan is on here too. Mm. Now talk about sending out a, a, a subpoena and telling somebody to come in and testify before a congressional hearing. Jim Jordan still ain't ain't showed up for his hearing, mm-hmm. uh, but he wants to be there. And he wants to be able to question. But they know how epically they failed um, in all of their hearings, specifically the last impeachment hearing that they tried to hold. And so, therefore, they don't want the eyes of the world. I think that this was a very bold move on behalf of Hunter's counsel. Um, I thought it was smart. Honestly, it's like, forget it. We don't want to fight it because when you fight, sometimes people think you're doing something. You're hiding something. Right. Exactly. But at the same time, he is still facing criminal charges. Mm -hmm. And so to come in and testify under oath, I don't want to do that in a deposition where you're going to get Comer and Jim Jordan and Marjorie coming out and spinning the truth or just flat out lying. Right. Instead, I would want to make sure that my client could could be judged by his demeanor. It's the same thing that happens in a jury trial. Right. And the reality is that he potentially was going to be testifying to a potential upcoming jury for his criminal cases. And so I think it's it's the smart move. Uh, we should do it in public. What is wrong with transparency? But sure. they're not about their life. But I mean, the thing is, if you go back and you look at, I mean, this is what Comer said earlier. He said in September he would more than welcome Hunter Biden to come and testify, um, blah, 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 blah. Um, here's the challenge. Oh, actually, let me play it. Let me just go ahead and play it. Here's James Comer. Let's play it. Hunter Biden's more than welcome to come in front of the committee. If he wants to clear his good name, if he wants to come and say, you know, these weren't 20 shell companies, they actually did something. Uh, He's more than, he's invited today. We will drop everything. 
we'll drop everything. The problem is all the previous hearings, and I have, I have watched you spar with some of your uh, colleagues on the other side um, and it, destroy them. Um, but I mean, the, the problem is whenever they said the, the partner, the business partner said, no, President Biden didn't have anything to do with it. Everyone they've brought in so far that were supposed to be witnesses for the prosecution ended up being witnesses for the defense. Have you seen, uh, as a member of this committee, any evidence that President Biden has any involvement whatsoever in his son's companies or in his businesses? I have not. And it's a fishing exposition, uh, expedition. You know, one of the things that most people aren't talking about is he not only sent out this subpoena, he sent out a subpoena to the president's um, brother. He sent out subpoenas as well to um, Hunter's wife and so many family members. I mean, he is going after their entire family, just looking and hoping that somebody will slip up and say something that will give them a leg to stand on and be able to say, see, we told you. But that's not how the process works. What you're supposed to do is say, you know what? I see something and I need to dig in further. Instead, right. they're saying, we don't see anything, <laughs> but if we dig, maybe we'll finally find something. Yeah. Let me go through. You, you mentioned some of the people on the other side. So on, as you mentioned, on the Republican side, you have people like Jim Jordan, um, Paul Gosar, Virginia Fox, the one who yelled liar at a reporter. Um, you have Clay Higgins, um, Pete Sessions, Andy Biggs, insurrectionist guy. Um, you could go on. That's what's on the Byron on, Donalds, Anna Paulina. Byron mm -hmm. Donalds, Anna Paulina Luna, um, yeah. Kelly Armstrong, Scott Perry, um, you know, people who've been involved in things like insurrection, people who are, they're out there. Yeah. These are theatrical members. Oh, absolutely. And as you mentioned, on, on the Democratic side, you have some of your best sort of litigants, people who are former prosecutors, attorneys, et cetera. Absolutely. Do you think the reason they don't want to do the public hearing is mostly about the lack of evidence or mostly about the fact that they know that these people will make them look stupid? I think it's the combination of both. <laughs> yeah. They they know that, that both... Are both things will take place. Number one, we basically put the exclamation point on the fact that they literally have no evidence. We flesh it out so that people understand that what is being presented is absolutely a nothing burger. And, and they don't want that. He would rather be able to um, cherry pick and mischaracterize um, and misinform the public so that they can get public opinion back on their side. Um, this is all about their orange Jesus <laughs> and trying to make sure that they can do their bidding. We've said over and over that they need to actually file an FEC report for all of the donations that they've given him through all this nonsense. I mean, the reality is that the Oversight Committee should be a very serious committee. Indeed. And we do have real work that we could be doing on behalf of the, the American people, mm -hmm. but they've not chosen to do that. They've chosen not to do that. It's such a show. Uh, Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett. Now, I would say that they don't want that Delta smoke. <laughs> They but don't want that Delta spot. I won't say it. I'm going to hold Even back. Even though she ain't green right now. <laughs> you know, but you know, so that's got to be a little ironic. Thank you very much, Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett. Much appreciated. And still ahead, day 54 of the Israel-Hamas conflict. Uh, and we are going to give you the latest details on the latest uh, hostages released and so much more. We'll be right back. everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. It is the sixth day of the humanitarian pause between Israel and Hamas, and more hostages were released today and are on their way home for the release of, uh, in exchange for the release of 10 hostages in Gaza. A Qatari spokesman said that 30 Palestinians, including 16 children and 14 women, are now free. In addition, two Russian citizens and four Thai citizens were released outside the framework of the agreement. Here's video provided by Hamas, which appears to show the two Russian-Israeli hostages released into the care of the Red Cross in Gaza. The 10 Israeli citizens include five dual citizens, including an American. Late today, President Biden offered brief, brief remarks on the American hostage who was just released. We've got some very good news to report. Layat Benin is safe in Egypt. She's crossed the border. I talk with her mother and father. They're very appreciative and uh, things are moving well. She'll soon be home with her three children. This could be the final day of the pause in fighting, but international, mediator, me, international mediators are pushing for more time. It's an incredibly fluid and precarious situation mediated by Qatar and involving regional leaders, as well as our own Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, who has arrived in Tel Aviv to seek a new extension of the pause. Fears are also growing for Gaza's youngest hostage, only 10 months old, after Hamas claimed that he and two other members of his family were killed in an Israeli airstrike. NBC News could not independently verify the claim. Joining me now is Ayman Moyhedin, host of Ayman on MSNBC. Um, thank you so much for being here, Ayman. You are just the right person that I wanted to talk to about this. Let's start with this question of whether or not uh, one of the hostages, this 10-month-old, was killed in an airstrike. That seems to me logical to conclude that in some cases, the airstrikes, which have so far resulted in 14,500 Palestinian deaths, also endanger hostages as well. Um, but it's it, it, talk about the difficulty of verifying that claim one way or another. Yeah, it's very difficult, first of all, for a few reasons. One, uh, outside journalists, foreign journalists are not on the ground to be able to verify that information independently from those that are telling us that information. And right now, the people who are saying that, although we can't confirm it, is Hamas. So we should take that uh, with a grain of salt for the obvious reasons that you mentioned there in your setup. Uh, what is important to learn from that and, and the significance of understanding the dynamics at play here uh, is what Hamas has been saying from the beginning, that the 240 hostages uh, that that were taken inside Gaza were not all taken just by that uh, militant group. It was taken by several other militant groups, smaller gangs, uh, perhaps even Palestinians, individual Palestinians that brought them into Gaza. And so the significance of that and why they're saying this uh, sheds light on the fact that they do not know the whereabouts of all of the names that Israel is seeking. And so in these hours of ceasefire or truce that we've been seeing for the past couple of days, um, Hamas is able to go out, try to connect with other groups, try to connect with individuals, follow leads to consolidate these hostages, find out where they are and bring them into their group. And that's part of the negotiations, that the more Hamas can produce captives and hostages for release, the more the truce can go on. And we're right now just focusing on civilians that include women and children, as we've seen over the past uh, six days.
Uh, let, let's talk about the role of Qatar in this. Um, it, it, this is a country with close ties. This is what the AP writes, with its close ties to the United States, its communication with Israel since 1995, and its support of blockaded Gaza to the tune of what estimates uh, su suggest is more than a billion dollars since 2014. Qatar is uniquely positioned to break deadlocks in the ceasefire talks, which also involve the U.S. and Egypt. Just talk about their role. They do not have formal uh, diplomatic ties with Israel. Why are they so the, the, seemingly the only country that has been able to move uh, these negotiations. So Qatar has taken a position as a, as a matter of its foreign policy over the last uh, two decades or so to try to be a conduit and an intermediary for uh, cross sections or currents, if you will, in the region that sometimes were at odds with one another. Uh, they have stated publicly that in the past there has been too many lines, fault lines that had been drawn uh, that has made it difficult for adversaries and enemies to talk. And so as a result of that, they have tried to foster the relationships with all these adversaries to create more dialogue. And we've seen that. Uh, and to be very clear, this has happened at the request of the Americans, where Central Command is based inside of Qatar. The largest military facility in the entire Gulf is located in Qatar. And the Americans wanted Qatar to play that role, first with the Taliban, uh, who we were at war with for almost 20 years in Afghanistan, uh, secondary with Iran, a country that we uh, have very uh, complicated and, at times, uh, antagonistic relationships with. And thirdly, with, as we now see uh, play out in real time, with Hamas, an organization that the United States and Israel and Western European countries labels as a terrorist organization. And so the calculation by the United States was, if we had one country in the region that could also be a close American allies that we trust and kind of work with on all these portfolios and these issues, it would uh, reduce or lessen the chances uh, of direct war. And that is a position that Qatar has embraced uh, and has done a remarkably good job even with Israel, which it does not have diplomatic relations with, by being able to foster and cultivate trust based on past uh, relationships it has had with Israel unofficially going all the way back to the mid-90s. Well, let's talk about what's happening. Um, that's really helpful. Let's talk about what's happening in, in the West Bank. Uh, we know that there was a raid, because while the news, at least for the moment, I don't know how good we, I don't know if the word good is, 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 is usable at this point, but for the people of Gaza, at least the bombing has stopped for now, the violence has actually ratcheted up in the West Bank. Um, there was a raid in Janine that left at least a nine-year-old and perhaps two children uh, dead, killed by IDF uh, soldiers. Um, what is going on? Um, and also the arrests are continuing. It appears that while uh, Israel is releasing women and children from Israeli jails, they're also re-arresting and arresting lots and lots of people on the West Bank. What's happening there? Yeah, I mean, look, um, to your point, there's no Hamas in the West Bank. The Palestinian Authority is as close of an ally as you can possibly be for Israel as well. They um, are described by Palestinians who are disenfranchised with it as the Palestinian face of Israeli occupation. But against the backdrop of what is supposed to be relative calm and truce during the war in Gaza, the West Bank is anything but. We have seen over the course of the past 55 days since October 7th, uh, Israeli settlers in the occupied West Bank going on rampages, destroying homes, forcing Palestinians out of their villages, many of these backed by the Israeli military. When Palestinians uh, protest or when they confront Israeli soldiers, they are shot. And in some cases, even in situations where there are no confrontations, the Israeli military is going into Palestinian towns and villages that are technically supposed to be under control of the Palestinian Authority in what is known as Area A under uh, the Oslo Accords, and they're raiding these towns and cities and arresting Palestinians 
been at times, as we've seen, shooting them, including a nine-year-old boy that was killed earlier uh, today. This is also happening against the backdrop that Israel is releasing Palestinians, some of whom were actually arrested after October 7th, as in the case of Ahed Tamimi, a prominent Palestinian activist and feminist who was arrested after October 7th, now being released part of this truce that has been playing out over the past six days. So while the world's attention is on Gaza, you are now looking at more than 200 Palestinians that have been killed um, over the past several weeks uh, in the occupied West Bank, Joy. Uh, thank you. Uh, one of the best to do it. Uh, a reporter that knows this region very well, Eamon Mohedin, thank you very much as always. And up next, rejecting the us versus them mentality that's causing so much division around the world. As U.S. officials sound the alarm about rising anti-Semitism and anti-Muslim sentiment here at home. I am speaking up to issue a warning informed by lessons of history too often forgotten. No matter what our beliefs, no matter where we stand on the war in Gaza, all of us must condemn anti-Semitism with full-throated clarity wherever we see it before it metastasizes into something even worse. Because right now, that's what Jewish Americans fear most. That was Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, the first Jewish leader of either chamber of Congress and the highest ranking Jewish elected official in American history, denouncing the surge in anti-Semitism today. He devoted his roughly 45-minute speech to explaining how Jewish people have felt isolated in the last month, calling out recent examples of anti-Semitism in the U.S. and speaking about the, how the trauma of Jewish people that they've experienced for millennia is affecting how they feel now. His views are partially echoed by Rabbi Sharon Kleinbaum, leader of congregation Beit Simhat Torah in New York City, the world's largest LGBTQ plus synagogue. Rabbi Kleinbaum and her wife, Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, recently returned from a Shiva trip to Israel, where they grieved the October 7 attacks and met with members of the Israeli community, as well as Jewish Arab collaborative groups to discuss the importance of a peaceful shared society. From Israel, Rabbi Kleinbaum wrote, to envision this conflict in simple and binary terms is to remain willfully indifferent while the blood of our fellow human beings, neighbors to one another, is spilled before our eyes. We must reject the binary. To support Israeli Jews does not mean we cannot support Palestinians. To support Palestinians does not mean we cannot support Israeli Jews. Joining me now are Rabbi Sharon Kleinbaum and Randy Weingarten. Thank you both very much. I read the piece in Haaretz uh, featuring your trip and immediately started bugging my producers to please, please, please track these wonderful ladies down. I want to start with you, Rabbi Kleinbaum. Uh, tell, tell us what prompted you to make this trip uh, and what did you learn? What did you see? Well, thank you so much for having us on tonight. Uh, well, we really wanted to go for a couple of reasons. One is, as you described, it's traditional for Jews to pay a shiva visit, to visit somebody who is grieving and mourning and to be physically present with them. And we felt that we wanted to be there for Israeli Jews and Israeli Arabs and to be uh, really a witness to what's going on there and to be able to hug people and say, we are so sorry about the pain that is ex being experienced now. 
Uh, so that was the first thing, is to really be present with people who are suffering. And that is what I believe God demands of us, is to be in the presence of suffering, to not close our eyes or our hearts, and to be able to be open with compassion and with love to all those who are in pain right now. And Randy Weingarten, we, uh, we, we are so familiar with you being in the struggle on this uh, side of the world over things like books and history. And that includes Holocaust yeah. history, which also has faced literal bans uh, of those books in this country. And I just want to know what your sort of feelings were, emotions were now being in Israel. And um, I, I understand you all met with families of people um, who had hostages that were still missing. So... First off, Joy, thank you for having us on. And I think we feel quite shattered um, for a lot of different reasons. Both Sharon and I have spent, you know, our adult lives fighting for equality for Palestinians, fighting for um, a shared society, fighting for an Israel that was, you know, was said in the Declaration of Human, uh, the Declaration of Israel's Independence in 1948 for wanting to have that kind of shared society, fighting against the occupation, fighting against what's happening on the West Bank. And so October 7th changed a lot of things there. And there is a shattering that we both feel. And, you know, there is an empathy that seems lost both in our country and in Israel. And when you are there and talking to Israeli Arabs as well as Israeli Jews, you see a sense of wanting a future and, and, and fighting for that future. And I think that's what President Biden is doing. And I think that part of our trip was not only to hug and to bear witness, but to be able to be there to help um, form that future again and that hope again. But it's pretty shattering yeah. to hear the stories. Um, Rabbi Kleinbaum, you know, Chuck Schumer today, he gave a very moving, emotional speech. He spent 45 minutes going through, you know, talking about the reasons why um, Jewish folks feel so shattered in this moment. And one of the lines that stood out to me is he talked about the trauma, the historical trauma that informs the way that Jewish people feel about Israel, the way they feel in this moment after uh, October 7th. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that people do forget that a lot of the ways that people react to circumstances are based on trauma. Well, and I think these events that are un folding now uh, actually are triggering trauma for both Israeli Jews and for Palestinians. Indeed. For us as Jews, there is almost no country in the history of the world and of our people from which we were not either expelled or murdered or otherwise victimized. And it is in our DNA to know that the transformation from being an accepted part of society to being uh, a victim it can be can turn on a dime and then to see this greatest act of violence against jews since the holocaust absolutely triggers and brings up such deep such deep fears and it's an actual it was an actual event of terrible atrocious uh, victim vict uh, victimization but i think it's also true for palestinians palestinians see see you know thousands of palestinians being sent on uh marches to leave the north of the gaza strip to go to the south and for them it's a reenactment in many ways of a nakba memory 
And what we were doing there and what I have been doing over and over again for all of my years of activism and of concern and of my deepest part of my religious life is that these are two peoples who are not going anywhere. This is not a sports game where we choose sides. These are two peoples who deserve to have a future. Nobody's going anywhere. There are millions of Jews, millions of Palestinians, and we must find a way for there to be a shared future in this land for both peoples. It will not be solved by a military solution. It will only be solved by a diplomatic, human-to-human solution. And we need governments to start talking that way. And exactly as Randy said, what happened on the West Bank today is horrific, absolutely horrific. And it represents up until October 6th, the Israeli population had the largest demonstrations for 10 months, the equivalent of 15 million Americans in the street every Saturday night protesting an extremist racist government. And some of those people are continuing to do exactly that on the West Bank. But we stand with those Israeli Jews and the many, many many who stand for this shared future. I I would be always uh, remiss to ever interrupt a rabbi uh, when when, when Sister is preaching, but I have to because I have to go to commercial break. Uh, You ladies are wonderful. You can come give me a hug anytime because I love hugs. So please, please come when when you guys are near D.C. Rabbi Sharon Kleinbaum and Randy Weingarten, you both are wonderful. Thank you. And coming up, House Democrats and Republicans launch another effort to give serial fabricator and only fans aficionado George Santos to get him out of Congress after a damning ethics report. Will it work this time? We'll see. Back in a sec. This week could be the last days in office for the self-described Mary Magdalene of Congress, George Santos, as he is once again facing a vote for his expulsion. It will be the third vote to expel the New York congressman since he took office less than a year ago. But the first since the House Ethics Committee released that damning report detailing a wide range of abuses and fraudulent conduct by Santos, including using campaign funds for things like Botox and OnlyFans. That's on top of the federal charges for money laundering, identity theft and wire fraud. The House is expected to begin debating this resolution tomorrow with the final vote set for Friday. We will be keeping a close eye on all of it. And that is tonight's readout. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 